We are in the book of Acts. We've been preaching through the book of Acts. And um, we don't have screens, but there is an outline in your bulletin um, if you want to follow along. Uh, we've, we've been looking in the book of Acts. We've picked the, this section back up. And we're, we're looking at, uh, we've been looking at what's typically called the first missionary journey. The Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. And we're coming to the end of that in chapter 14, we've been asking the question, what happens when the gospel comes to these various cities around uh, the um, ancient uh, Near East, that uh, uh, when the gospel comes to uh, the island of Cyprus, when it it comes to, we saw last week, Antioch, Pisidia, um, what happens when the gospel comes to these towns? And there's a map in your bulletin that if we had screens, I would put on the screen and I wanted to show you, and you can see on that map that uh, what we're talking about, this, this missionary journey, which lasted about two years, started in Antioch in Syria. And you can see there, we've, we've traced the journey through Acts to the island of Cyprus, and then from the island of Cyprus up into that area of Asia and uh, Galatia. Up in, uh, we saw last week in Antioch, Pisidia is a, a different Antioch, but up in the upper left-hand corner. And uh, tonight we're going to look at what happens um, when the gospel comes to the town of Lystra, the city of Lystra and Derbe. Um, in, uh, in chapter 14, the book of Acts, the apostle Paul comes to Iconium. And uh, in, in Iconium, he, uh, like we've seen before, he discovers that there are some who believe the gospel, there are some who don't believe the gospel. There are some who are thankful and grateful for him, and there are some who want to uh, actually uh, stone him to death. And so uh, he and Barnabas leave the city of Iconium, and they come to the city uh, of of Lystra. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. So in your order of worship, the scripture is printed in your order of worship. The same thing you were using to look at uh, your worship lyrics. You see the scripture reading there. So... Let's, let's keep our traditions. Let's stand, if you're willing and able, and I'll read for us from Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 8. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, "'Stand upright on your feet.'" And he sprung up and began walking. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Laconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these worthless things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. 
Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So, confusion about important matters can lead to detrimental results. Confusion on important matters can lead to detrimental results. Uh, My wife and I were watching a documentary uh, a couple weeks ago uh, on Netflix, uh, a couple episode series on Three Mile Island, and uh, you might remember the nuclear meltdown that happened there, and uh, the worst on American soil that's ever occurred. And as they're telling the story of, of, of what took place, they were uh, talking about how the operators in the, in the operating room for the nuclear power plant really didn't know what they were doing. They, nuclear power at that time was thought up to be completely safe, I mean, almost dummy-proof. There was nothing you could really do to mess it up. It was so figured out. And so the, the guys who were on shift at like 3 or 4 in the morning um, had never seen anything like what transpired. They were completely confused, and they did all the wrong things. And because of that, it led to the worst disaster in our country's history uh, with nuclear uh, power. Um, confusion about important matters can lead to detrimental results. Gender is an important matter. There used to be clear consensus in our culture. Genitals determine gender, right? Anatomy determines identity. But now people are greatly confused. Uh, if on, uh, male and female, we're told, are not the only options anymore. Facebook has 58 gender options. Think about that, 58 gender options. Um, Men are allowed to compete in women's athletic competitions. At her latest performance, J-Lo introduced her daughter with the gender-neutral pronouns they and them. Elementary students are taught that sometimes parents and doctors make mistakes when they bring a child home from the hospital and declare that he or she is a boy. Our children have become the victims of our culture's confusion on gender. Confusion about important matters can lead to detrimental results. So what happens if you are confused about the most important things? What happens when you're confused about the most important matters like knowing God and living the Christian life? Confusion about those things can have eternal consequences. In the passage we read, we see Paul and Barnabas on mission to bring clarity where there is confusion. Lystra was more of a small town than a city. 
Uh, we've, we've seen the gospel coming to big cities like Antioch and um, Iconium was a bigger city. But Lystra was more like Citrus County than Tampa. Right? Lystra was, was made up almost entirely of Gentiles, secular people who knew nothing about the Bible. So it's into this confused pagan town that Paul and Barnabas come with the clarity of the gospel. So two things, two points for tonight. Um, first, from confusion to clarity about God. And second, from confusion to clarity about discipleship. And so first, from confusion to clarity about God. Uh, in, this, in this part of the world where, where Paul and Barnabas went, there was an ancient local legend that uh, Zeus and Hermes had visited the people in this area, and, and they had done so in disguise. And they had gone around looking for someone to show them hospitality, and, uh, and, and they finally found one old couple in the thatch roof uh, little house. And they welcomed them in, and uh, they then reveal themselves to this couple. They turn their little house into a palace. They make them priests uh, to them, and they destroy the surrounding area with a flood. That was the, the local legend going on uh, at that time. And so when Paul and Barnabas come, right, and God performs a miracle through the apostle Paul, he, uh, healing this lame man, right, and he stands up and he, he walks that's why the people responded. They said, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Right? Barnabas is Zeus and Paul is Hermes. And, uh, and the, the priest of Zeus came with oxen and garlands to worship them, to offer sacrifices, because they didn't want what had happened once to happen again, right? They were going to get it right this time when uh, Zeus and Hermes came down to them. But once Paul and Barnabas realized what's, hap what's happening, they're horrified. Right? And they, they tear their clothes as a sign of their protest at the blasphemy that is taking place. Interestingly enough, in Acts chapter 12, we didn't read this in, in previous weeks, but in Acts chapter, chapter 12, there is a story with Herod Agrippa, where Herod uh, stands before a group of people to give a proclamation, and he dresses up in all of his royal garb, and he gives his proclamation, and the people respond, the voice of a God and not a man, right? He's a God, just like they said to Paul and Barnabas. And Herod didn't correct them, right? He, he soaked it in. He was like, yes, right? I can do this. This is, and, uh, and it says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But Paul and Barnabas, when it happens to them, they say, men, why are you doing these things? We're human beings just like you are. You know, we got, I got five fingers on this hand and five toes on this foot, right? I'm, we're just like you, but we bring you good news that you should turn from these worthless things, from these, these worthless idols to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So what is the confusion about God that Paul and Barnabas are seeking to clarify. It is the sinful confusion that has plagued mankind since the fall of Adam and Eve. Right? Paul said in Romans 1, it's there in your, in your bulletin, that as sinners we exchange the truth about God for a lie and we worship and serve created things rather than the creator. Right? We worship worthless 
idols, gods of our own making, rather than the living God who made the heavens and the earth. John Calvin said that our hearts are like idol factories, like constantly churning out. Um, not like the, the formula factories in our country that shut down. No, the, this factory never shuts down, right? Constantly churning out idols, uh, constantly churning out uh, God substitutes that vie for our allegiance and affection. And anything can serve as a, as a counterfeit God, especially the very best things in life. Paul and Barnabas told the people of Lystra, God has made his existence clear to you. His benevolence is evident to you in the rain, in the harvest, in the good food you eat, in the joys of everyday life. A beautiful sunset, a slice of watermelon on a hot summer day, the birth of a child, all of these give witness to the creator, to the living God. And we, we look at these Lystrans and we think, uh, how base were they, right? That they worshipped Zeus and Hermes, that they wanted to sacrifice animals uh, to them. I've been, I've been reading uh, St. Augustine's Confessions, and uh, one of the things that struck me about that, this is a book that was you know, written um, uh, just a few hundred years after Jesus. Uh, and one of the things that struck me about the Confessions is how current it is. Because the truth is, things have changed, but people haven't changed. And you read this book and you go, wow, it sounds like, sounds like something I struggle with. It sounds like um, something, things that I've thought uh, about. You see, we are not fundamentally different from the people of the Bible. We're not fundamentally different from the people of Lystra. Our idols and what we sacrifice to them just look different. So we idolize our children when we sacrifice our time and energy for travel sports. The, the idolatry of success can lead a dad or a mom to sacrifice the health and well-being of their family. Worshiping the idol of politics requires that we sacrifice relationship with anyone who has a different opinion from us. Sport is not inherently evil. Wanting to excel in your job is not wrong. Caring about politics is not unchristian. They're all good things. But an idol is a good thing that we make into an ultimate thing that then becomes a God thing. So that again, an idol is a good thing that we make into an ultimate thing that then becomes a God thing. We are all guilty of it. In the confusion of our sin, we worship created things rather than the creator. That's why we constantly need the clarity of God's word to remind us of who God is. That's why we read all of Psalm 104 in the service, to remember that he is the living God. He's the source of everything that we see, everything that we have, everything that we need. He alone is worthy of our worship, and all other imagined sources of significance and meaning in life are futile. They are worthless. They are empty. So let me ask you, is there any confusion in some aspect of your life? Think about your life and some aspect about it. Is there confusion somewhere in your life, in your job, in your parenting, in your marriage, in your habits? If you find that there is confusion in some aspect of your life, it could be, could be, because you are subtly or overtly practicing idolatry. Look at what you give your thoughts to, your time, 
your resources to. You can give yourself this, lit, this litmus test. If I don't have blank, then I won't be happy. If I don't have blank, then I won't be happy. And if anything in that blank, if it's anything other than God, it's an idol. You've made it an idol. Um, we learn from Paul's exhortation that we must train our hearts to express gratitude to God for, for all the, the everyday provisions of life. It's so easy to become ungrateful, right? To complain about what we don't have rather than to give thanks for what we do have. And when we, when we cease to express gratitude, right? When we don't give thanks, we become entitled. And when we become entitled, we start acting like little Herods, running around thinking that we're the center of the universe. It always leads, that kind of confusion always leads to detrimental results. Jonah 2 verse 8 is one of those verses, I'm sure I've read it before, but it was like I was seeing it for the first time again in the Bible this week. Um, and it's, it's in your outline there. Jonah 2 8 says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Oh, how often I do this in my life. Lord, forgive me. Jesus, capture me anew with your love so that, so that I will let go of the idols that I desperately hold on to. Holy Spirit, turn my heart back to the living God. Second, in this passage, we see not only from confusion to clarity about God, but from confusion to clarity about discipleship. So look again at the passage, starting at verse 18. It says, Even with these words, Paul and Barnabas scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Did you notice how quickly the crowds turned on Paul? Right? I mean, on a dime. One moment they think Paul is a god and they want to make a sacrifice to him. The next moment they turn on him and they want to make a sacrifice of him. How fickle of them, right? But isn't that usually how we respond when our idols don't come through for us? When our idols crumble we often lash out and attack the very same people that we once praised. But continuing on, it says, When the disciples gathered about Paul, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When it says that Paul rose up, um, was it a resurrection? Was it a miracle? Was he just unconscious and regained consciousness? Well, the text doesn't say. What it does say is that the stoning was severe enough that his attackers thought he was dead. Later, Paul uh, is, will say, he will write, I've, I've been beaten countless times. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I was stoned. He says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. 
Nothing could stop Paul and Barnabas from their mission, and their mission was to make disciples of Jesus. Three times in the passage, these new Christians are called disciples. Right? What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows Christ towards spiritual maturity. Disciple is someone who follows Christ towards spiritual maturity. If you're a Christian, you are called to be a disciple. You're called to follow him towards spiritual maturity. You're called to grow. You're called to mature in your faith. But sometimes there's confusion about discipleship. Some people think that following Jesus means you will have a prosperous life. Some people think that if anything difficult happens to you, and you're a Christian, then it's a sign that you're doing something wrong. Paul and Barnabas give us clarity. They, they told the disciples, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. In your outline, Paul told his protege Timothy, Timothy, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Friends, please don't be confused. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, if you're going to follow him and seek to live a godly life, then you must expect difficulties. You must expect trials. You must expect persecution. I am amazed by the courage that Paul and Barnabas show in this passage. Paul gets up and walks back into the city where they just tried to kill him. Um, the The text then simply says, the next day he went with Barnabas to Derbe, Well, the walk from Lystra to Derby was 60 miles. So one day after being stoned within an inch of his life, Paul walks 60 miles to Derby to go preach the gospel to people there. And then if you look at the map in your bulletin again, if you find Derby, from Derby, what is the quickest way to get back to Antioch? The quickest way to get back to Antioch is just to go straight east. It's not a hard journey. In fact, they would have gone through Tarsus, which was Paul's hometown. He wouldn't have had any trouble finding lodging there. But that's not what they did. Instead of taking the short, easy route, they go back the way they came through the cities with people who tried to murder them because they wanted to minister to the new Christians. Incredible courage, right? This is what it looks like to follow Jesus, to boldly, courageously move toward difficulty for the sake of the gospel, not to seek a safe, easy, or prosperous life, but to trust that the Lord will take care of you no matter what trials or tribulations come. And it is almost always in those trials and in the turbulent times of life, more than the calm ones, that the Holy Spirit does what? He grows us. He matures us. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Later, Paul would write to the Romans. He would say, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings produce endurance. 
Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. Many of you uh, know, and we've talked about uh, in years past, um, about seven years ago, I believe it was, uh, seven or eight years ago, there was a woman named Kara Tippetts. She was the wife of a a pastor of a PCA church like ours uh, out in Colorado, I believe it was. And um, Kara, at the age of 39, um, was diagnosed with... uh, a, uh, with breast cancer, severe breast cancer, um, that was terminal. She had four kids, and um, uh, and it was it was no doubt, right? She was not going to survive. Um, and she began blogging about this and and uh, speaking about her experience for the good of uh, churches all over the world. And at the same time, there was another young lady named Brittany Maynard. She was 29. She was not a Christian. She was newly married, and she was diagnosed with brain cancer, terminal brain cancer. And so you had two women in different parts of the country going through terminal cancer at the same time. Um, Kara was coming from a Christian perspective, Brittany from a non-Christian perspective, and Brittany became an advocate for physician-assisted suicide. She wanted to, uh, to end her life uh, on her terms uh, by taking a pill. And, um, and so uh, Kara Tippetts wrote an open letter to Brittany Maynard. Uh, and um, in wanting to, you know, through her writings, wanting to help people and help her. And um, here's what she said. She said, uh, just part of it. She said, Brittany, I love you and I'm sorry you are dying I am sorry that we are both being asked to walk a road that feels simply impossible to walk. Dear heart, we simply disagree. Suffering is not the absence of goodness. It is not the absence of beauty, but perhaps it can be the place where true beauty can be known. In choosing your own death, you are robbing those that love you with such tenderness, the opportunity of meeting you in your last moments and extending you love in your last breaths. Brittany, when we trust Jesus to be the carrier, protector, redeemer of our hearts, death is no longer dying. My heart longs for you to know this truth, this love, this forever living. You have been told a lie, a horrible lie, that your dying will not be beautiful, that the suffering will be too great. Will you hear my heart ask you, beg you, plead with you not to take that pill? Yes, your dying will be hard but it will not be without beauty. Yes, your dying will be hard, but it will um, not be uh, without beauty. Will you please trust me with that truth? Hastening death was never what God intended, but in our dying, he does meet us with his beautiful grace. She was, Kara, in her death, through her writing, She was helping people move from confusion to clarity about what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow him through the difficulty. Brothers and sisters, there is a lot of confusion in this life. Some of it is because we cling to worthless idols. Some of it is because we've forgotten the cost of discipleship. 
but clarity always comes when we focus on the Lord. The people of Lystra shouted about Paul and Barnabas, the gods have come down among us. They've come down to us in the likeness of men. The good news of the gospel is that God has indeed come down to us in the likeness of men, in the person of Jesus. Paul and Barnabas, they had to leave these new Christians. Think about how painful that is to start a church and then have to leave. Um, They couldn't remain with them forever. So what did they do? Well, it says they appointed elders for them in every church. They gave them leaders who would watch over their souls. Everywhere they went, they did that. They established communities with structures of authority and accountability, and those are all good things. But look at how the passage ends, the very last verse. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In leaving them, Paul and Barnabas knew there was someone who was committed to these Christians more than they were, more than their elders. It was the Lord himself. So Seven Rivers Church, in order to move from confusion to clarity, let us recommit ourselves to do what the author of Hebrews says. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and has been seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me pray. God, this life is indeed confusing. And there are are so many things that we're going to learn one day and find out and figure out, and we're going to muddle through for the rest of our lives. But would you, Holy Spirit, would you keep Jesus before us? Would you help us to focus on him and fix our eyes on him to the degree that you would give us great clarity in this life? Would you help us to live on mission for you? Would you help us to follow you as your disciple? Would you help us to worship you as the living God, the one who created everything that we see, the one who created us? And as we do so, Lord, um, We pray that you would continue to carry us uh, and that you would be with us through all the difficulties and trials until the end. And we pray in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.